pot, ain't it? There we go. While I'm getting set up, uh, y'all can go ahead and be turning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um, and as I step up here, probably wondering the same thing that I was wondering when Kevin asked me to do this, and that is, man, they really must just let anybody get up there and teach. <laughs> uh, perfect. All right. No, I, I'm Winston Wilkes. Um, I am a student at Auburn, but uh, also an intern with the youth ministry. Um, and, uh, and so I think what happened was Kevin's going to let uh, Tullis and Chris uh, get up here and teach. And so he felt bad and figured he'd let me get up here too. So here I am. Um, <laughs> now, I will take this time, though, to shamelessly plug the youth ministry. Um, if that's not something you've considered, you should. Um, it's a good time. Anybody in here that's done it can attest to that. Um, it's really cool to get to see these high school kids um, become your friends and to get to see them grow um, and to get to see the ways that uh, working with them causes you to grow as well. Um, so if you're interested in that or uh, think that's something you might want to do, come talk to me, Jesse, Emma Claire, Raisha, Aaron. Um, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, all right, so surely by now you've found Luke chapter 10. I have not. I got distracted. Luke chapter 10, flipped right to it. How about that? Luke chapter 10, verses 25 is where we're going to start. So I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, um, and then I'll pray and we'll take a look at it. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied. Jesus couldn't just simply reply. He had to tell a story like Jesus does. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to, the, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is your word. And God, what have we apart from that which comes from your hand? God, I pray that we would um, recognize that the grace and the mercy that you've given us is meant to cause us to love like this Samaritan man. I pray that you would give me the strength that I need to teach and to um, hopefully um, yeah, just help us to see why it is that Jesus told this parable and what we can gather from it. Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you for giving us that love in the first place. 
so that we might be able to do the same for others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, we are going to break this down into four main points, uh, which I'll go ahead and um, give you here at the beginning. First of all, we're going to think about the lawyer's correct thinking. Um, so this is what the lawyer got right. Um, he wasn't completely wrong, and so I think looking at uh, some of the assumptions that he made coming into this uh, conversation with Jesus would be helpful for us to, for us to look at. Um, but then, obviously, more interesting um, and what caused the parable to be told in the first place. Next, we're going to look at the lawyer's incorrect thinking. So we're going to look at um, the things that he got wrong. Um, and then out of that, our third point will be Jesus' correction, which is, a.k.a., the parable. Um, and then finally, we'll wrap it up and think about some takeaways, um, some ways we can um, apply this to ourselves. So, um, so my goals um, for this uh, tonight is not to have an, a comprehensive uh, mining of the depths of theological insights in this passage. Um, my goal is also not to impress you with uh, all the Greek vocabulary that I have because I'll tell you it's very, very small. Um, my goal, though, is hopefully that by the end of this, uh, we'll understand better why Jesus told this parable um, and what that means for us going forward. So um, start off, though, I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of background, um, kind of set the stage and where we are in the storyline. And so at this point, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, um, on his way to eventually be crucified. Um, it's at this point in his ministry that he's becoming uh, increasingly public in his teaching and in his uh, doing of signs. And so um, because of that, he's increasingly drawing the ire of religious leaders, um, religious leaders like this lawyer that we see in our passage. Um, so when you read the word lawyer, um, you probably think of like Alexander Shannara or somebody like that. Uh, that is not, <laughs> that's not what this is. Um, if you're in Iraq and need a check, don't call this guy. Um, he is... <laughs> <laughs> he, he is a uh, religious expert, would have been an expert in uh, Old Testament law, um, would have known the scriptures very well, um, as evidenced by his quoting of it um, here shortly, but um, that's, that's more what we're thinking about. Um, think like a professional theologian, think somebody you would come to if you had a question about the law, that's this guy. Um, all right, so now that we've kind of got that groundwork a little bit, let's look first of all of what he gets right. Um, first of all, he gets correct that Jesus is a teacher um, and that also Jesus is someone to come to uh, when you have questions about eternal life. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Jesus' ministry is becoming increasingly public. Um, and so by this time, Jesus is, is starting to be known as a teacher of Scripture, um, as someone who teaches about God. And so the lawyer is correct to come to him and to question him in this way. Uh, Jesus also um, taught often about how to have life. Uh, in John 10, 10, I'll go ahead and preface here. I'm going to quote some scriptures. Um, you don't have to flip. You can write them down. We're going to, we've got a lot to cover, so I don't have time to flip every time. But uh, in John t chapter 10, verse 10, um, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, can, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, so asking Jesus about eternal life uh, is a fair question, right? He's someone who um, is a self-professed expert on life. Um, the lawyer also gets the way to eternal life correct, um, as evidenced by Jesus saying, you have answered correctly. Um, 
the lawyer gets this right, um, even though this seems a little um, contradictory maybe to what we know to be the gospel, to what we know to be the way to an eternal life. Um, but to disagree with the lawyer is to disagree with Jesus, um, so much so that Jesus actually quoted this exact same scripture, um, the part where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with, or stopping, stopping at strength is uh, from De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Um, and then the part where it says you should love your neighbor as yourself is from Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 18. Uh, Jesus actually quoted this himself in Matthew chapter 22 when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Um, and so the lawyer gets that part right, um, and that kind of seems a little, um, almost like a discrepancy. Um, don't we know that the gospel is by grace through faith? Don't we know that um, the way to inherit eternal life is to uh, repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus? Um, and to that question, I'm going to pull a Kevinism and say, I'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, we'll uh, put a pin in that and um, hopefully won't keep you too, waiting too long on that little cliffhanger there. Um, but now we're going to roll into the lawyer's incorrect thinking. So we're going to try to look and think about uh, what he gets wrong. Um, first of all, his motives were incorrect in coming in this conversation. We see this in verse 25. Um, it says that he stood up to put him to the test. And so um, the line of questioning that he gives is meant to trap Jesus. Um, Jesus had been teaching and implying some things that uh, the religious leaders of the time saw as uh, troublesome. And uh, the lawyer's goal in asking Jesus his questions um, was to cause him to contradict Scripture uh, and then he could be declared blasphemous. And so the lawyer was not coming to him um, really wanting to learn, but instead trying to uh, trap. Um, another thing that he got wrong was he thought that he could do something good enough to earn eternal life. Read that in verse 29. Uh, he was desiring to justify himself. Um, but we know that this is not true. Um, Paul quotes in uh, Romans chapter 3, which we looked at a while back in Sunday school, um, He quotes multiple different psalms, but I'll just go ahead and read them. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. He says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so we know that no one can do good, um, that we all seek after what we ultimately want uh, apart from relationship with Christ. But this kind of answers the earlier question. Um, And so uh, Jesus' affirmation of um, loving God uh, and neighbor is the way to eternal life uh, were we to um, be without the way that God provided in Jesus. Um, and so um, God knew that we were not going to be able to perfectly keep this law, that we were not going to be able to perfectly um, love God, that we were not going to be able to perfectly love um, each other. And so um, because he knew that, he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Um, but the reason that Jesus affirmed this um, answer to the question is because he was operating under the lawyer's uh, underlying assumptions that he came in at the conversation with. Uh, Jesus knew that the lawyer was not there to learn. He was not there to um, really seek to, to know and love God. He was there 
to trap Jesus. And so uh, just operating uh, with the lawyer's underlying assumptions, um, Jesus affirmed that. And according to the law, that is what we have to do. Uh, one must love God with their whole being and love their neighbor as themselves. Uh, but we know that we're not able to do that, like I mentioned. Um, and we also know that God foreknew that we wouldn't be able to um, and sent Jesus to be our solution. And so we are able to fulfill these commands. We are able to love God perfectly and love our neighbors perfectly um, by placing our faith in the one who did. Uh, Jesus came and he did that perfectly. He fulfilled this command uh, better than any of us ever could. Um, and so that's how we uh, gain eternal life. That's how we inherit eternal life. Um, because Jesus did perfectly um, follow this command. Um, our faith in him is what gives us eternal life. Um, the lawyer also, another thing he got wrong was he thought that neighbor um, in the Leviticus passage was a, ter- command, was a part of the command that was meant to exclude. Um, another way that you could ask his question, so I'll just read his question again. Um, 29, he said, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, we could easily rephrase that question as saying, who is not my neighbor? Therefore, who do I not have to love, right? That's really what he's getting at. Um, and so the, the Jewish idea uh, of neighbor at the time was very exclusive. Jews were obligated first to family uh, and then to other Jews living in close proximity, uh, then to the Jewish nation as a whole. But outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot of obligation to, to others. And so um, it makes sense uh, to this guy and uh, to us, really, to love those who are close to us, um, who are easy to love. Um, but Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, uh, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. God's command to love neighbors isn't ritualistic. Um, it's not exclusive like we want to make it. Um, it's based on an understanding that we are all made in God's image and that we're worthy of respect and love. Uh, in First John Chapter 3, verse 17, we read that God's love doesn't abide in anyone who sees someone's need and closes his heart to them. Um, I know preparing for this and reading that, that was very convicting to me. Um, And I imagine it would be uh, to you as well, but um, if it's not, maybe I would question whether um, the Holy Spirit really lives within you uh, if you're able to um, close your heart off to people and think nothing of it. Um, So that's kind of what the lawyer gets wrong. Um, and Jesus, uh, and now we're going to look at Jesus' correction, but um, like I said, instead of just telling them very quickly and easily, you're supposed to love everyone, right? He could, Jesus could have just said, you're supposed to love everybody. Um, but instead of doing that, he told this parable, and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, Jesus tells a story that beautifully illustrates what it means to be a neighbor. Um, Kevin mentioned this, I think, two weeks ago, um, but... Like many of his other parables, this is a story that is meant to restory our lives. Uh, I think it does just that. So Jesus, first of all, his depiction of um, the priest and the Levite is what we're going to look at. Um, so we see in the parable that there's a man who obviously has been um, stripped and beaten and left to die um, and is now helpless. Um, and first of all, we come to uh, a priest and a Levite who are coming um, and Jesus' depiction of these people expose many of the excuses that we use to excuse ourselves from loving others. Um, 
And so I'm just going to list out some of those excuses that, that I know I sometimes use, um, but that are also true of the priest and the Levite. First of all, um, our own safety. The area that this half-dead man was in was obviously a dangerous area. I mean, there's at least one person that had been beaten, stripped, and left for dead there. Um, and so that same thing could happen to the priest or the Levite, right? They're probably thinking uh, they don't want that to happen to them, so they're just going to get through there as quickly as possible. Um, and this is not me saying that we all need to be daredevils uh, and put our lives at risk every second of every day unnecessarily. Um, but I am saying that sometimes um, we like to, to play it a little too safe um, and, and excuse ourselves from loving others. Uh, also, our time. Um, helping this man would have meant that they arrived at their destination a little bit later than they had planned to. Uh, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known for being a dangerous road. Um, as soon as Jesus was this, telling this parable and mentioned that it was from, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, people of that time would have known what he was talking about. Like, yeah, that's, that's a bad area. You don't, you don't want to be walking uh, through there by yourself kind of thing. Um, it was a very steep road. Had a lot of cliffs, a lot of places for robbers and things to hide. Um, and so this was not just the kind of path that you would just be going for a Sunday stroll on, right? You're not just walking just for recreation. Um, if they were walking on this path, they had somewhere to get to. And so uh, helping this man would have meant that they got to wherever they needed to get to later. And I know this one was probably the most convicting for me because um, if I think about how I am like on campus, um, a lot of times it's just... I've got homework to get done, I've got reports to write, I've got tests to study for, um, I've got class to get to, and I'm not saying don't do those things, I'm not saying you should be chronically late to everything <laughs> that you have uh, planned, but um, maybe we don't need to be five to ten minutes early to everything we do. Maybe we uh, spend too much time on things that really don't matter, um, that we could be using. Um, to minister to others and to love others well. Um, another excuse that we often use is uh, we don't want to get dirty, and so that would have been required um, to help this man. Um, he was dirty and bloody and naked and unable to help himself, and so it would have required uh, meeting him where he was. It would have required uh, getting down in the dirt, so to say, um, and this may actually be easier to do uh, with someone who's physically dirty than it is with someone who... Um, is in a hard situation, and our involvement might require us to um, yeah, make sacrifices and, and meet them where they are. Um, so that's an excuse we often use. Um, we don't want to get involved with a messy situation. Um, another excuse we use, which is related, but is getting involved. Um, the priest and the Levite um, were most likely worried about becoming ceremonially unclean. Um, it was law that if they had touched a dead body they would become unclean um, and so that's kind of explains uh, their crossing over to the other side of the road um, if they were to just allow themselves to assume that this man is dead uh, they wouldn't have to help him um, they wouldn't have to do anything with him but they could have at least walked over there and poked him with a stick or something I mean they could have you know they could have checked but uh, I think that was the point of Jesus saying they crossed on the other side of the road um, they didn't they didn't want to help uh, they didn't want to get involved um, because, you know, it would have required them purifying themselves and it would have been this whole ordeal. Um, but, yeah, they, they didn't get involved. Um, and so next we see the Samaritan. Um, and Jesus' depiction of the Samaritan shows us what kind of love that we're called to. This man was 
um, of a nationality that hated the Jews um, and was hated by the Jews. Actually, in preparing for this, read um, that the Samaritans, a group of Samaritans, uh, at one point brought uh, a bunch of human bones to the temple in Jerusalem and scattered them about um, to make the temple unclean right before Passover, which sounds like a pretty good, pretty good prank, but probably shouldn't have done that. Um, because the Jews, I think, retaliated by going into Samaria and destroying their temple. Um, they were not on good terms, the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, but this man didn't let the differences in background call, excuse him from loving. Um, just like I mentioned with the priest and the Levite, this man probably had somewhere to be as well. Uh, but he didn't let his business excuse him from loving. And like I mentioned earlier, this area was dangerous. It was known for um, being a place where robbers and thieves um, hid in the, in the cliffs and were ready to attack. Um, but this man didn't let his cares for his own safety excuse him from loving. He didn't let getting dirty excuse him from loving. He didn't let having to use his own resources excuse him from loving. Right? He poured uh, what was it, oil and wine on him. He bound up his wounds. Um, he put, it on, put him on his own animal. This would have meant that he's now walking, right? He, he was riding whatever this animal is, but now he's walking alongside it. Um, he took him to the inn. He paid with two denarii. Um, this is about two days' wages, and I saw multiple different uh, takes on this, but uh, depending on what kind of inn it was, this could have been enough for anywhere for a week, anywhere from a week to about three weeks' worth of uh, stay at the inn. So he paid generously um, and said he would pay more. Um, so this man didn't, use, didn't let um, having to use these resources uh, excuse him from loving. He also recognized the man's need. Um, he saw him as more than an inconvenience, and he gave of himself genuinely to care for this guy. So this parable teaches us that our love is not just for a preset group of people um, or only to be shown when the scenario is convenient for us. And we see, after Jesus tells this parable, parable that uh, the lawyer got that. Um, his answer is proof that Jesus' message was communicated clearly uh, and received. Um, according to Jesus, our neighbors are anyone that has a need we can meet. And God loves us unconditionally. Right? He loves us uh, even though we have nothing to offer him in return. Um, actually, the Bible says that we are his enemies. But yeah, he loves us anyways. Um, and so... Because we've been given that love, we should also show that love to others. So that's kind of um, Jesus' correction and, and um, how he gets his point across through the parable. And so I want to look at now uh, a few things we can take away from this. Um, things that this passage is meant to teach us and it's not meant to teach us. First of all, this passage uh, is meant to spur us on to love and good works. Um, and I think if I stood up here and told you that um, works were the way to heaven that you have to earn your way there, that whatever you do, that's what matters the most, and that's what's going to get you to heaven. I think if I told you that, I'd be tackled off the stage, as I should. Um, that's not what we read in the Bible. But we do read in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. Um, and so if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you claim to be a believer, um, and the way you live doesn't reflect that, um, then I would check yourself. I would check to see if you really believe what you say you believe. Um, we should feel convicted by this passage, um, and we should listen to Jesus' command to go and do like the Samaritan. But this passage is not meant to browbeat you 
about how you don't always perfectly love like this. Um, scripture is clear, like I just mentioned, that our salvation is not based on works. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So uh, this passage is meant to uh, encourage us to do better, and we strive to love better, but we do that with confidence that our salvation is not based on that, that our eternal security is not based on how well we love others, um, but how well Jesus loved us. This passage is also not meant to guilt you into overloading yourself by participating in every possible ministry or outreach program there is. Um, us interns recently read this book called You're Only Human by Kelly M. Capick. Highly recommend. Um, but in this book, um, the author tells about a friend that he had that came to him who was overwhelmed. Um, he read about the commandments that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 25, and I'll read those here. In Matthew 25, Jesus commanded us to feed, the, to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and come to the imprisoned. Um, so he was just, he read, his friend had read this passage and was convicted and was overwhelmed. He was already doing a lot. He was already a pastor of a church, and he had a lot going on and just didn't know how um, he was supposed to be expected to do all this. Um, so I'm going to read a quote that's uh, this author's response to him. Um, he says, I encouraged him in the same way I encourage myself. Today I am caring for prisoners in jail. I am evangelizing to the disenfranchised in Nepal. I am praying over the sick child in the hospital. I am serving the recovering victims of sex trafficking. I am standing against racial injustice. I am caring for widows. And I am doing so much more. How? I am doing all this because I am part of the living body of Christ. God's Spirit has united me to Christ and... Because of that union to my brothers and sisters of the faith, we are one. I am part of the church, both local and global. Obviously, I can't personally do all these things in a single day, nor even a single lifetime. However, my church actively pours itself out in love for our neighborhood, the larger city, and farther as we extend ourselves out to the world. Our church is just one of a vast number of churches scattered throughout the world. As part of God's church, we have people doing prison ministry, caring for children, feeding the hungry, praying, preaching, and caring for orphans and widows. I am not the body. I'm just part of it. But together, the body works well and reflects the Messiah's heart as it participates in his actions of love, healing, and service. As part of the church that, has, that is reigned over by the ascended Christ and empowered by his spirit, we are collectively able to do even greater deeds than Jesus did before his, own, uh, before his death and resurrection. And that's quoting Jesus himself in John chapter 14. God now normally, though not exclusively, does his redemptive work in and through us, his church. Um, and so we are commanded to, to meet the needs of those around us, um, to prayerfully consider how we should serve, um, and uh, to dive into the ministries that God has led us to. Um, but we are, not uh, we are not commanded to do everything. We are not made to be able to do that. Uh, we are made with limits. Um, that's what this book is all about. Um, knowing your limits and knowing that God created those uh, on purpose. Um, and those are a good thing. Um, but we can serve in the ways that we serve. We can love those around us. And we can rest in the fact that the global church uh, is meeting these needs, um, is obeying the commands of Jesus. And so um, my final kind of takeaway for this, um, Jesus didn't mean for this parable um, to be looked at as an analogy for his love for us. That's not why he told it. Um, he told it to the lawyer who was confused. 
Um, but I think it is worth noting and looking at uh, some of the similarities in how Jesus loves us. Um, first of all, like the half-dead man, we are helpless and uh, have only death to look forward to. Um, the difference is our suffering is due to our own sin. Um, but like the Good Samaritan, Jesus gave of himself to rescue us, knowing full well that we had nothing to offer him. Um, if you, um, yeah, first of all, if you have not repented of your sins um, and place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then uh, you can forget the rest of what I've talked about tonight. That is first and foremost your biggest problem. Um, it's, it's your biggest problem that uh, you are dead in your sins. The Bible teaches that. Um, but luckily for you, the one who raised the dead uh, and the one who raised himself from the dead um, stands ready to receive you. And you can make that um, decision uh, to follow him. Um, I'm sure anyone in here would love to, to talk with you about that, but uh, that, that needs to be your priority if you haven't um, placed your faith in Jesus, if he's not the Lord of your life. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, what we see in this parable, and I mentioned uh, earlier in the group meeting that this uh, passage was um, very convicting, and I think it is. Um, it calls us to love, um, calls us to want to do better, um, calls us to love sacrificially, like Jesus himself did. But I also mentioned that this passage uh, is very encouraging. And I think we see that in the fact that um, apart from Jesus, that's our only way to heaven, is to do this perfectly, is to love God perfectly with everything we have and to love our neighbors perfectly. Um, but because we do have Jesus, we're freed from that weight. Uh, we're freed from the need to be perfect. Um, Jesus came and lived that perfect life for us, uh, he died on the cross um, so that we can have the inheritance of eternal life that this lawyer was asking about. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and I think the band's going to come back up. Um, so, yeah, let's pray.